right, we are very pleased to have on Buncey, um, current ESPN employee living in New York, avid Charger fan, so outnumbered two to one at the current moment. But thank you so much for joining us. What we're doing today basically is a West team preview at around the halfway point of the season. So we're doing NFC, AFC. Um, let's start with the Seahawks and a certain, you know, Geno Smith has captured the hearts of America. You know, I think the Seahawks are becoming America's team in everything. You know, the Mariners. Now you have the post Russell Wilson Seahawks with, you know, all good vibes, a really strong defense. Uh, Kenneth Walker, the third, just storming out of the gates as a rookie running back. Um, you know, right now they're the favorites to win the NFC West on FanDuel. And I know betting doesn't mean a lot for a lot of people, but to some people it does. And they look way different than what the preseason projections turned out. Yeah, I really think that they're the surprise of the NFL and for sure of the NFC West. No one had any doubt in Geno at all. And I think he really put it together. And I think, like, you know, super cool that, you know, Penny got injured and, you know, Walker was able to come through and just, you know, flip the switch and basically be even better running back than, you know, what they had in the backfield. And I think their defense is, I think, maybe one of the unsung heroes, I'd say. I'm really impressed by how well they're playing. Uh, and, you know, it's not like they've been playing some bum teams. They've been playing some pretty good teams. And I still think that, you know, their defense is able to put together some really good performances. And I think this past week against the Giants spoke a lot because, you know, Brian Dabble is an offensive mastermind. And I think they're able to have a really good game plan to make sure that, you know, they limited, you know, Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. And in the fourth quarter, they really shut down that that Giants offense. So I think the, the main takeaway from this season, whether they make the playoffs or not, is just how good of a draft class they got this year. Uh, it resembles a lot of what they were able to do with the Legion of Boom and kind of build that roster from the draft. And so you got two starting tackles in a draft, which is already insane. You got a star running back and you got a prototypical cornerback in Tariq Woolen, who's six foot four, shades of Richard Sherman, right? That tall, lanky corner that you want. And so you get five plus quality players in one draft class. Like that really expedites things. People were expecting them to be in the tanking for Stroud, Bryce Young conversation. Now you have a quarterback who's playing out of his mind, who's relatively fresh, and you have a crazy draft class. Like, I think they, they definitely just sped up or anticipating. And I think one of the, the best things about what the Seahawks season has shown is that sometimes it just helps having a quarterback who knows the system. Like, they brought in Drew Locke, you know, in the trade with the Broncos and... People were pegging him to be QB1 and, you know, start off the season. But with Geno, you have a guy who, despite any sort of consistent success as a starting quarterback in the past, he just spent all year learning everything that that offense had to offer. And that matters a lot when you have playmakers on your team ready to contribute, like a Tyler Lockett, like a DK Metcalf, and these explosive running backs who... I, I don't know if it's you guys or me, but... I feel like the running back position is just so replaceable now. Like, the next guy is just always there. Like, I feel like it was such a prized possession commodity type of thing before. But, I mean, I just feel like they pop out like like gifts on Christmas. But I think it really depends on, on two factors, right? One is scheme and one is talent. And I think in, like, a Pete Carroll sense, it is talent. I, I mean, I'm not taking away from, you know, how good of an offensive coach he may have been in the past. 
But I think the way the Seattle offense is built, they just got lucky that Walker is a beast. And I think if you looked at the pre-draft, you know, projections and analysts talking, everyone said, you know, coming out of Michigan State, you know, Walker's a beast, right? He's going to be doing super well. But I think if you look at, like, maybe the Rams or especially the 49ers are the one team that I have in my mind, they can plug and play most, you know, somewhat NFL caliber guys. And, you know, with the blocking schemes they have and the way they orchestrate the offense, anybody can go off for 100 yards and a touchdown on any given day. So I do kind of agree with what you're saying. But I feel like with the Walker case, it's a special scenario purely because I just don't think that, like, I think he's really special. And I don't think if you put somebody else in, you know, Seattle right now that they will be able to replicate the kind of success that Walker's having. I mean, that, that fourth quarter running touchdown he had, he basically broke through like five tackles, right? Not a lot of people in the NFL mm-hmm. can do that in general, right? I guarantee if you take both the Javante and, you know, Melvin Gordon on, on you know, Denver and you put him in, they would not have been able to make that run. I think he's a better player than both those guys. He's just very special. So I think I agree with your overall point, but I think it depends on scheme. So I disagree about Javante. I agree with you. Right. About okay, the Melvin Gordon wasn't really, a a beast, you know, you know, it wasn't really a point of contention, I feel, but... Yeah, and I think, you know, you talked about betting odds for FanDuel. The NFC West is going to gonna tighten up, especially after this. Yeah, so San Francisco, Santa Clara. I call them Santa Clara because they do not play in San Francisco. The Niners looked amazing against the Rams, but, I mean, that's just exactly what happens in the NFC West year after year. The Niners just destroy the Rams, and CMC looked like something that belongs in a Shanahan offense. Like he's the shiny new toy. He had the hat trick of touchdowns. I think the first since LT in 2005, like we were mentioning right before. Um, he is he the best offensive player right now on the Niners, considering they also have, you know, a Kittle, a Debo, an Ayuk, a bunch of skill guys who are really explosive, really dynamite, talented. And the Jimmy G. Is he and the already Don't forget about is he Jimmy already G. the best no, I'm not including Jimmy G. I'm not including Jimmy G. Like, I take college quarterbacks over Jimmy G right now. That's how down I am on Jimmy G. But is CMC truly like a game-changing type of season-altering talent for the Niners? Or is there more that they need to do to, like, elevate into that Super Bowl contending level? I think I think it's a yes and no answer almost, where it's like he is head and shoulders, you know, the best running back when healthy in football, right? You you look at him as a runner, as a catcher, and all the things he can do, he's special, and there's no denying that. And so if you're getting a fully healthy CMC through a playoff run, I think it makes a difference. But how much of a difference? I think it, it might not be as great as people might expect with the name that comes attached with CMC, just because as alluded to earlier, the Niners system produces running backs. Doesn't matter who you put in the backfield, they're gonna do well. Like it's a Shanahan scheme. They're gonna scheme them open. They're gonna get five, six yards a pop. And I think that's not the biggest issue with the offense that they had to upgrade at the deadline. So you got CMC. It's gonna make the offense better. It's gonna make you know Jimmy G's life a little easier. He has a better safety valve. as a check down guy on on passing downs at running back, but it, it, it doesn't feel like it's the type of move that's going to move the needle in terms of improving the trajectory of the season. And that's, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe CMC, you know, goes for 200 scrimmage yards a game right here on out and, and can't be stopped. But I can't remember the last time a running back was, was the reason why a team, you know, went over the edge, altered a team's outlook. 
Yeah, I I definitely agree with you there, Buncey. And I think that with, you know, the, first off, the Rams are a terrible test, right? We should not take this game to mean much because the 49ers would, would, would have beat the Rams even if they didn't have CMC. Like, I truly believe that. There's just something about them playing the Rams in the regular season. They're just always going to beat them, right? And I, I do think that, you know, he does take away a lot of pressure from Jimmy G. And we, we mentioned checkdowns. And yeah, like if Jimmy G doesn't like what he's looking downfield, he could definitely pass the ball to, you know, to CMC. And CMC can make a lot more with it than most of the other running backs on that roster or even in the NFL in general. But I think, like, this doesn't address the true, like, critical point on this offense, which is Jimmy G, right? Like, at some point, you're going to need Jimmy G to make a throw. We saw that happen in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs. He needed to make that throw down the field, and he couldn't because he's just not that guy. And he's not going to be that guy with CMC on the roster. Like, that's not going to change how good of a passer he is. It'll alleviate some pressure off of him. Sure, but like you need to make throws to win games, especially in the playoffs. And I just don't think that Jimmy G is built for that. And I also think that you know the 49ers are always getting screwed over by injuries. But I think you know this year with with Mosley out as well, that's a big piece. And luckily, you know Trent Williams came back and Nick Bosa came back. But they just need to stay healthy. I think they could make a run. But again, it's just really the big piece of that is Jimmy G. If you have Trey Lance, and even with Trey Lance, you know it's only his second year, so you know you'd cut him a lot of slack too. But it's like you have a guy that's like a veteran experienced in Jimmy G, but you just don't trust him to make them better in a sense. I will say these two things about the Niners, though. I think, one, the bye week couldn't have come at a better time for this team considering how many injuries they have just on both the defensive side. So many starters just banged up. And then also with, you know, Debo, like not playing last game, he's going to be able to come back after the bye week. So they're going to get some reinforcements. But... Secondly, I do think the CMC edition is somewhat of a game changer, particularly for Jimmy G, because if there's one thing that Garoppolo has struggled with, it's just making the right reads at times. Like, there's too many balls that he's thrown that ill-advised passes just into double coverage, you know, the, the classic Jimmy G pick that you just come to expect every game. But with CMC, there's always going to be a guaranteed, quote-unquote, positive play from scrimmage. Like, Giving the ball to that guy is never going to be a bad option. And that safety valve, as Buncey you mentioned earlier, is just always going to be there for him. So I do think this is going to take some of the pressure off of Jimmy when it comes to these big game drives. You know, let's say you're down seven in a playoff game, three minutes left. Like CMC will be that engine to just keep drives going, I think. Um, let's move on from the Niners because I think we've spent enough time on them. Um Moving on to the Rams, who were on the other side of this 31-14 beatdown. Um, it's not looking great for the Super Bowl champs. Um, they look slow. Stafford looks really bad at times. I think it's getting a little better, but he's still way too reliant on Cooper Cup. Um, I love the Twitter memes that are going on saying that Stafford's racist by not targeting <laughs> Allen Robinson. And I think that has gotten a little better. But there's so many things that this Rams team needs to work on. And I don't know where to start. Honey. It's like every hater what said about the Rams the last two years is coming true. Like, they are just like a, an amalgamation of a bunch of, like, big names. And I guess it happened to work for them last year. But this year, just because you add big names to your roster doesn't mean that they're going to be, like... Like, Bobby Wagner changed nothing about this. This defense sucks. They're like they're letting up a pretty high like amount of like, and you have Aaron Donald and Bobby Wagner on your team, and Jalen Ramsey. Those three names alone should be like, oh, this is a great fear defense. It's just not happening for them. So I think like yeah, their defense is not super 
you know, it's a, their defense is not where it should be considering how much money they put and, you know, how the, the big names they have. And on offense, yeah, it's all about Stafford. He's, like, not looking great. He's getting better, yeah, but he's not looking great. And then the Cam Akers, uh, everyone predicted he'd have a breakout season sort of, like, you know, probably the biggest disappointment. I mean, forget fantasy-wise. It's just, like, he, you know, when he was healthy, could have been this very dynamic guy, right, that would have brought a big dimensionality off the, you know, to the offense that would have saved Stafford a lot of, worry but now Stafford basically is only throwing a Cooper Cup every single play right so just it takes a lot away from you know what could have been you know on paper a Super Bowl contending team but I don't know Buncey what do you think what's the what's the big issue here with the Rams yeah I think I think it all stems in the O-line I think when you look at a team that's contending you have to be good in the trenches and you have to have good quarterback play and with the Rams I think the biggest step back they took is their O-line losing Whitworth is a bigger loss than they could have ever envisioned. And I believe his note boom is, is the replacement left tackle that they kind of gave that contract to. And he's not looking like the same tackle that they had there. And so when the O-line's not giving Stafford time, you know, the passing game's not there. You're not going to have time to, to feed other options outside of Cooper cup. Your run game's going to look bleak with cam Akers running into the wall over and over. And I think, you just can't underestimate, you know, like how how much a good offensive line helps a football team. And with the Rams, the moment, you know, the patchwork approach works in a lot of ways, but you lose depth on the O-line, you lose key rotational defensive players on the D-line, like the Chargers snag Sebastian Joseph Day. I know he wasn't healthy uh, for, the, for the playoff push last year, but you lose depth along both sides of the trenches, and you're going to feel it on both sides of the football, I think. And I think that's exactly what's happening with the Rams is – you pretty much have the same team as last year minus key players in the trenches and you you get a aged linebacker and you get a, a wide receiver who's not necessarily known for separating uh if you're that that's where you're going to spend your big money on when you take this unique strategy of roster construction uh, i think this is where it kind of bit him in the ass a little bit yeah i do think also that lack of a running game is just making this team so reliant on coming from behind in a lot of games. And then that's when you have Stafford just throwing 40, 45 passes. And then, you know, Stafford, he's just going to take the gunslinger approach, make a couple of risky throws. They get picked and then the team is down 17-3. The next thing you know, it, oh, game over, Rams lost again. And I know a lot of people predicted the Super Bowl hangover for this roster, but honestly... Like, I would put them as one of, like, the three to four most disappointing teams considering all the expectations they have and all these big names. Um, I do think they'll turn it around. Like, I expect them to finish something like 10 and 7, 9 and 8. But it, if they don't fix up some of these O-line issues, I do think that this team is in danger of not making the playoffs, especially in a crowded, crowded NFC. Yeah, I don't um, think... Even the last place I don't team, think they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah. Just based on, like, it, I think best they go nine and seven, right? I think nine seven. Well, they have to. Sorry, go nine, nine and eight. eight. Sorry, sorry, nine and sorry. Seven. Yeah, nine and eight. They're they're not going to hit double digit wins. I don't think so. I'm st I'm still getting used to this like seventeen. <laughs> yeah, no, I have to add one more again. Thing. Like, weird. yeah, I don't think they're going to hit double digit it's wins. It's like I, I've been calling the Chargers the San Diego Chargers for like. Hey, three so has every now. announcer, and dude. So it's every it's... announcer too. So <laughs> you're not alone, but. You know what the worst thing was? Remember the ref who called the, the Seattle, Seattle Mariners? Seahawks, the Seattle Mariners. That was almost game. as bad as oh uh, God. they kept on calling Mike Mike, Medan Mike McDaniel when the Dolphins game was going on, Mike McDonald. And it just <laughs> Mike like... Mike McDonald. Hey, 
I've gotten the Derek Card mm. David Card thing for like seven years now. So yeah, but th- they're brothers, so it's that, all that makes bad sense, here. But yeah, I don't know. I I don't think they make the playoffs. I don't know. I think even like just because you have, I think the 49ers are going to make the playoffs, and I think the Seahawks will make the playoffs uh, in that division. If you you you're not going to have a division at this point in the NFC with three teams making the playoffs, because I think the you know like for sure at least. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how the Cowboys end up, but they, they they could make a playoff push as well now that Dak's healthy and their defense is you know playing really well. So you never know if you get two teams from the NFC East, right? And then you get <laughs> you can get three from the you know, NFC East. <laughs> yeah, and then three. you can get the Vikings. Yeah, honestly, right? Oh yeah, I totally miscounted the Giants too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They they only have you two losses, right? So or yeah, two losses. So yeah, you get two teams from the NFC East. You get the Vikings, right? And then. You get the, you know, 49ers and the Rams. You don't have a lot of, no, sorry, 49ers and Seahawks. You don't have a lot of room left, you know? So. I think, yeah, there's going to be one team from the NFC South, the division leader. Because I don't, oh, I don't, yeah. I don't think there's going to be a second team in the NFC South yeah. that wins even like <laughs> eight games. Um, the I, Green Bay is still intriguing to me. I think they make some sort of second half surge. Are they but two and six right now? Minnesota. No, no, they're okay. three and five. But they looked much better in the second half of that Buffalo game. Um, you're just basically saying, oh, like the, the Josh Allen picks that he doesn't really care about throwing in that game, I think, you know, definitely allowed them to get some opportunities that they normally wouldn't have. So that's also something. Yeah, but Rodgers made, made some Rogers throws. Made yeah, some plays he did. With yeah, he made some good yeah. throws. But I just think, you know, against most other teams that know they can just beat you, it's not going to. This team lost the Jets. It's like not a very. It's not like the added pieces are fundamentally changed a lot, you know, between this Jets game and the Bills game. So, yeah, I think another three and five no, team. No, I was just gonna, yeah, yeah wrap, sorry, to wrap it up. I was just gonna say, I think the Packers play like the Bears and Lions like two times a pop moving forward. So they got some, some relatively yeah. cupcake. You know, Rogers is not gonna only face the, the the big dogs the whole season. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna discount him on making a a little bit of a run at the end. But yeah, it, the mm-hmm. NFC is, is is deep right now. Yeah, I mean, even the the fourth place Arizona Cardinals, the sixth best offense in the NFC, um, just based on points scored, they are three and five. The Kyler Kingsbury experiment does not look great. It's um, like they don't want to win games. I think DeAndre. Yeah, I know. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins has helped. Like they look like a competent football team at least with him in the lineup. But I. I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to look at no, the games. I think the thing I was about to say, they, I don't even know what to say about them because I feel like I've watched every single one of their games because it's somehow been close or an entertaining blowout. And I just don't know. Like It's like they try and lose every game on purpose. And they tried to lose a game against y'all and then you guys let them win the game. I don't know how. They're the ultimate like stay away team. Like They almost beat the Eagles. They This game, this last weekend was, was beat pretty the close. Saints. Yeah, but then they they look like they were just in trouble the entire time against Minnesota, and then next thing you know, it's like oh, thirty four twenty six, and Minnesota has to yeah. like actually put the game away with Kirk Cousins making legitimate and plays. Then, I mean, the Saints so, game is the, the what the three pick sixes in like one minute twenty one seconds game, right? Like that's like a yeah. game you can kind of say like let's not count this as what the team is like get you know three scores and the, still the Saints also kind of almost came back like they really let up a lot in the second half. So I think they're just. I feel like Kyler's not run. He's not running the ball. Sorry, Bunsy, but Kyler's just not running the ball the way I expect him to. If you're gonna be that dual threat guy, like he's that's what he's paid for. Like that's why this Call of Duty contract. Like 
that's why all the jokes are being made because whatever you say about him like he's supremely talented and he's just not running the ball with the frequency you want him yeah to. He, he isn't i think i think that's one thing that's shifted in his game if you look at his rushing yards like it, it's gone down because he isn't scrambling and making use of that what was like four four speed that he had coming out of college but when you look at the cardinals they're a team with like no identity on on offense or defense like yeah they run this air raid scheme but they can't put up points with their scripted plays they start every game in a hole and so they're playing catch up which is why the box scores kind of look like the box scores is because it's just hey we're down early kyler's got to throw it every single play they have no run game like their line is trash and then on the defense it's just a vance joseph scheme of just blitzing whenever you feel like it and you make a play sure like the saints game you, you get a few touchdowns great but then you get burned because you're you're blitzing so frequently so they're a team that has like no structure is the way i see it like yeah they might win some games just based off talent of of players at key skill positions but kingsbury's not that guy for for kyler like it's it's not a great match right now with just how unstructured that offense is the air raid system that they're running is just not working in the nfl right now ever since they've paired up really like what have they got to show for it one playoff appearance where they got humiliated destroyed yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah. I definitely, definitely agree with you on, on all those points, and I think, yeah, I think their defense is also a really big hit or miss. It's just like lucky, and I kind of think that's what like Vance Joseph. Even when Vance Joseph was in Denver, like it was still like a, like they had more talent than this roster on defense on the defense, but just like a lucky, like their their whole thing is like luck. That's their whole team strategy essentially. Even their special teams is kind of just like, I don't know. It's like they roll a dice. It's like they're playing Dungeons and Dragons, not football. You know. <laughs> They roll a dice and whatever like dice roll appears, that random event happens. It's kind of a, it's a, it's it's entertaining to watch though. Honestly, I'd rather watch them over the Rams any day of the week. So, watch the last like five minutes of that Raider game, oh, Cardinals a... Raider game, and that's exactly just Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons. Like Kyler running around for. Anyways, I was talking about the Cardinals beating our sorry ass Raiders, which is going to bring me to the AFC West. Um start with the Chiefs. Let's start with some good news here in this division. Kansas City has not missed a beat with the departure of Tyreek Hill. Um, Patrick Mahomes looks dynamic as ever. Travis Kelsey looks like God himself has descended upon the field to play tight end. Um, the defense has made really opportunistic plays all season. Um, you know, Andy Reid is just going to keep winning games no matter what roster you put in front of him. He won with Alex Smith. He won with Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek mm-hmm. Hill, and now he's winning without Tyreek Hill. So I think it's safe to say that the Chiefs are one of the favorites and the road to the Super Bowl is going to be either through Buffalo or Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, that's how it always is going to be, I feel like, the next few years. Yeah, I think the Chiefs' defense is the biggest thing. Like, on offense, I need to figure it out. You have Patrick Mahomes. Like, you're not going to not do well. But the defense has really stepped up, and I think, you know, they've been playing some good games. So I think that's really the, the thing. And I mean, the offense is now adding Kadarius Tony as well, right? So it's just like... I don't even know. Yeah, I think that Kadarius Tony pickup's interesting. I think serious contenders love to make moves midseason, you know, and that that's a gripe that I'll get to with the Chargers later. But that that pickup is interesting because if if Tony is healthy, they got him on a cheap contract for the next few years. He's shown the ability to be that electric playmaker that for as good as the offense has been, the one thing that it seems to be missing is just that wide receiver or skill position with a lot of juice. Um, Mikkel Hardman's just like a track star. You know, he doesn't do too much with 
um, anything outside of a go route, it seems like. And all the other wide receivers are kind of more like possession guys, right? Like with Juju Smith, like Marquez, I guess you could say is a little bit of a burner, but you know, he hasn't had too many of those big, big catches. Um, so it, interesting to see if Kadarius, what his snap count looks like moving forward, if he's going to get, you know, layered in as one of the starting guys and then, you know, how they use him just because like him in the open field with Mahomes is going to be, it, it's going to bring back some of that Tyree kill uh, element into the offense, which is pretty exciting if, if he is healthy. I think also with the Chiefs, um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire has like the coolest name for a guy who does seemingly nothing every game and still ends up with a touchdown. Like I think there's some contractual obligation to give him goal line carries, even though he, I, he reminds me of like Trent Richardson. Like he just does not find open holes, and he ends up with these like 14 for 46 outings. I think- or- like, I don't know, five carries for 18 I think yards. Andy Reid just feels bad sometimes that he calls so many pass plays. So in, in, in the red zone, he's like, all right, I already did the shovel pass to Kelsey. I already did the jet sweeps. Like, I feel like it's out of pity almost because every time I watch the Chiefs, it's like they could move the ball at will whenever they want. And, like, anytime they run the ball, I'm just like, that's a cop-out because they could have just dropped back and got 10 yards. Yeah. And so, like... I feel like it's almost like it's he's obligated. He's like, ah, shit, I got, I got a few running backs on my team. I got to give him at least a few carries because, like, Andy Reid's a better man than I because I would just drop back 60 times with that offense. Like, I wouldn't even bother handing it off to any of those guys with, with Mahomes and, and the way that offense runs. But I think I think also apparently offensive linemen like to, like, run block. Like, that's their favorite thing. They hate pass blocking, but they like run blocking. So I think maybe he's like, yeah, you know, we'll give the offensive line something to do instead of just saying, you know, like – dropping back and just letting Patrick Mahomes do his thing. But, yeah. Every KC game could be 49-14 if they wanted to, but they're just like, all right, let's keep things Yeah, honestly, they, the they, yeah, like, I really agree with that statement. They play in such a weird way that if I like if I had that team, I would play like I was playing in Madden. Like, they would be, like, going forward on fourth down every single time and just, like, being ultra-aggressive on offense. But there's, like, like, when they play the Chargers in that, you know, Thursday Night Football game, that was such a interesting game to watch. Because I feel like they did a lot of things that they like shouldn't have. Like their overall play calling decisions wise were, were was terrible in my opinion. But they still, you know, won that game because of. I, I don't want to talk about that game. Yeah, we can. No, no, we can get to that game once we come to the Chargers. But I'm gonna save them for last. Let's go to Broncos country. Let's ride. Um, we got to talk about the Russell Wilson thing because. It looked a little better this weekend. Like he threw a pick on like the first series, but since that, like, made good decisions, moved the ball downfield, got the team a win. Um, I guess he just can't play in the United States if he wants to pick up wins because he's been brutal this season. Um, is this a Hackett issue with the coach? Is this a personnel issue in that Sutton and Judy aren't doing all that they can to get open in space. I don't think it's that. I I mean, the lack of a running game now is also pretty concerning, right? Because without Javante, with like a semi-disgruntled Melvin Gordon, you don't really have much to base any sort of run game on. Um, yeah, I don't know. Is this a head coaching thing or a Russell thing? I think I think it's like... I think Hackett gets a little bit of too much of the blame right now. Like, he had some game management issues, sure. Like, rookie head coach. I think I'm willing to give him a little bit of a pass on that. I think I think he does deserve some of the blame. Like, you know, at the end of the day, it's up to the offensive play caller to put the offense in the best position. And 
for whatever reason, the scheme he's running is is not a fit with Russell Wilson, with with the personnel, whatever. I do think the more of the blame lies with Russell Wilson, and it might not be entirely his fault, but I think there is a little bit of regression going on with Russell. I think when you look at his success in Seattle, what were the factors for that? It was the greatest defense of the modern football era. It was an incredible running back and it was you know a plethora of wide receivers that when they had to pass the ball they did enough for russell wilson he he was a very very elevated game manager and i don't mean that as a slight i mean that as a you have the luxury of playing with the best defense in football and you have a little bit of a longer leash to let's say not score as often as you need to if you're not in that position. So Russell Wilson was great. He was playing at a near MVP level. I still think it's one of the funniest things. He's never gotten an MVP vote. He, during that era, was one of the best dual threat quarterbacks as well. And so now with this age, with the accumulation of a few injuries, he's not scrambling like the way he used to in Seattle. So you don't have these like vintage 10, 12 second plays where Russell's dancing around doing Dak Prescott pirouettes and throwing the ball 30 yards down the field, making some miracles happen. That Russ is not there right now. He's making bad decisions because he's just playing like a traditional drop-back quarterback right now, and that's not Russ's magic. And so this is where some of the blame might lie with Hackett in that I don't think this scheme fits Russ's skill sets perfectly, but at the same time, I think we're seeing just a little bit of age, a little bit of not having that mobility that he used to, and, and some of his decision-making also taking a hit where he's not that same conservative Russ who always makes the right read, the accurate play. Um, I'm just not seeing that Seattle Russ right now in this offense. Yeah, and I think the reason that we saw that Seattle Russ is like, I mean, people kept on saying let Russ cook, right, when he was in Seattle, and that's because they kept the game plan so conservative and they would only basically pass it on third down. But I think that actually allowed Russell Wilson to be, as you said, like a kind of high-level game manager in a very good way. Like, it like allowed him to, like, only make a few certain reads and decisions. Like, he he can place the ball really well. And we saw some, you know, crazy throws throughout his career. And he could scramble really well as well. So I think those two things really added to it. But they basically, when, it, when it's third down at five, right, you only have so many places where you can look. It's not like it's like they're passing that first down, which they basically never did when he was in Seattle. Right, but I, I do I do definitely agree with Buncey about Hackett, uh, you know, not putting the right scheme, and I think he deserves bigger, bigger, you know, blame for that because they basically were like, dude, this is your team, right? And he could see how bad, like, it's not like Russ started off super well and declined, like from game one in this season, he's been playing terribly, right? So like the decision needs like it's already seven, eight games in the season, like you need to make a decision after game four and be like, yo, we should change stuff, and like, yeah, you have no running backs now, so that should also change your scheme as well. I feel like their scheme relies on some good running on first down, you know, especially to kind of open up the playbook. And I feel like they're not doing that. And I think defensively as well, you know, I think we're taking some of these experiences, like, for example, the game against the Chargers, as like, oh, yeah, this defense is good. Is it really? I mean, it has, like, good players on the roster. I don't think they're performing to, you know, the level that they could. And I really think that, like, that's, again, another thing on Hackett. You're the head coach. Like, step it up. I'm going to have to push back a little bit on the defense is not good. Um, just based on points allowed this season, 
I, I don't want to get into like DVOA or like any no, of the can we advanced please? defensive stuff. Because I think the games they've been playing, no, we, we can, the games they've been I, playing have like not been these I, high scoring games. So like, of course, their defense doesn't let up a huge amount of points. But if you've watched them on the field, it's like this is not like a team that's winning games because of their defense. It's a team that's not losing games. All right. That, that statement made no sense. I think it took a, a half step back quickly from, go. from last year. I think it's still a good unit, though. And I don't think that's the issue for them right now. But I, I can see that, yeah, they, they don't have, obviously, Vaughn Miller. And they don't have the great opposite pass rushers um, as they did in the past. But I, I think that the issue lies on the offensive side, just with the output and with the run game being dreadful and, and all oh, of for those sure. things. I think, yeah, I was trying to use it as a point to, like, say Hackett should be changing things up on both sides of the ball, right? It doesn't matter. But... I will I, I will say they've lost games in which they've given up 12, 16, 17, and 19 points. And when you sign a quarterback to the deal that they signed Russ so to, much money. you have to win those games. So many picks. Um, <laughs> their upcoming schedule is a little soft. Um, they go up against a... Like a good Titans team, but I wouldn't call them a juggernaut. And then they have the Raiders, the Panthers. The Raiders um, should be an easy dub for them, you know, so. And then they do get the Ravens, the Chiefs, mm. Cards, Rams, Broncos, okay. Chiefs, and then Broncos. Cards, Cardinals. Rams, that's actually mm. really bad because Cards, Rams are not they're not bad teams, right? They're just like teams in, like they could easily win and like a, a game randomly. Not like randomly, like, you know. They could easily win the game against the Broncos. So I think they actually have a pretty back half of the hard back half of the schedule. If they don't win their next three games, we can just write them off because I don't think they do anything yeah, after that. I agree. Um, can we talk about how bad the Raiders right. are now, or is that is that in the cards, or what's the uh, what, what's the vibes on that? That is that's in the cards. <laughs> um, how do you feel about Devontae Adams one catch for three yards? How do you feel about? Hey, he had the flu. Flu game, flu game, Devontae. It's fun. How do you feel about not crossing midfield until three minutes left in the fourth quarter? Hey, Jarrett Stidham, MVP, played better than Carr. One drive. Um, our team is in shambles, and it's not just because of Josh McDaniels. It's a collective inability to play well when ahead. There are so many games this season in which it should have easily just been game over with six minutes left in the fourth, if we just had good clock management, decided to run the ball with a unit that's ran the ball really well. Josh Jacobs has been unbelievable this season. And yet McDaniels, I think the prime example is that Cardinals game, which we just should not have lost. And then you had that tilt against the Chiefs in which, you know, I thought the Raiders outplayed Kansas City for the majority of that game. And going into Kansas City and doing what they did. They made a lot of key plays, some questionable, you know, go for two, just kick the extra point decisions. Um, Here's the thing. When you pay a lot of skill guys on defense to perform and none of them have performed the way you expect them to, like Chandler Jones started off the season slow. You thought he would pick it up, has not produced whatsoever. Um, Max Crosby has been great, but... The secondary has been getting hammered. When was the last um, time in the last like six years that you guys have? I feel like your secondary is always like in question. Our our secondary has been bad since Jamarcus yeah. Russell, like since the years of that. And you guys guy will sign a quarterback, or you guys will draft a quarterback, and you know whatever happens happens to him. So 
I'm telling you, losing Rich Basaccia as head coach, like, that guy did more for the morale of this team than any former Pats assistant could do. Um, I I was not on board with Josh McDaniels. I'm still not on board, and I give him one more year before cut ties. Like, I, this offense is way too talented to be 2-5 and five right now. That's all I'm It's It's as. a bad offense. Like, there's just no way to cut it with, with Josh McDaniels. Like, they have all the players. I think, like, when I look at a guy like Hunter Renfro, who was a big piece last year and I think gets a lot of respect from a lot of players in the league as a really good slot guy, his lack of production is really concerning to me. It's like, why why is he not getting the ball more? Because, like, this is a guy who got a lot of red zone touchdowns for you guys last year, a guy who moves the chains very frequently, and, and he's just not a part of the offense right now. I get you get Devontae Adams. Like, he's a fun new toy to play with. I get it. But, like like that that's really interesting to me um the run game like that's not a surprise i think with josh mcdaniels like should look good like that's a silver lining like josh jacobs is still young so it's good to see him kind of bounce back and you know show why he was a first mm-hmm. round back it's bad process still drafting running back in the first round in my opinion but you know he, he he's showing his value um and, and max crosby looks very much like a defensive player of the year candidate had he been on a good team um, th- that's yeah. about as positive as I can get with the Raiders this year. Um, it- it- it's I think a lot of the issues stem from just systematic things with ownership, like wrong head coach hires with Gruden and with Josh McDaniels. Now you have really bad draft process. Like you get some steals, but the first round picks are just going to waste over and over. Like the Leatherwood pick, like I could speak at length at how stupid of a pick that was, and and. <laughs> just trading trading away for pennies not even giving it giving a chance to work this year was interesting just because of how bad the o-line is this year and so there's a lot of issues i think the, the most interesting thing this comes from a, a little bit of a biased chargers stance but i think I, I forgot the exact analytical stat but in in very close games last year with with the raiders they had a like i think like a seven and three record in, in like one score games or, or something along those lines and they were a little bit of that is unsustainable year. right like i think they had like a negative point differential last year and they made the playoffs like they, they they definitely get a little bit of i don't like to say luck but in football there are a lot of coin flips right a lot of games that get settled in overtime a lot of games that you know you just get a break here and there and the raiders got a little bit more of that last year to the point where i think expectations were a little elevated entering this year um, they have a talented roster for sure. A little top heavy though. Like again, like I think good teams are made in the trenches, and the O line is not there yet. The D line is Max Crosby mm-hmm. and Chandler Jones. I think was a terrible pickup. Like I'm not a big PFF guy, but his production in PFF was going down last year already in the Cardinals. I think six of his sacks last year came in like the first few weeks, and then from there he had like no pass rush productivity with the Cardinals, and it's carried over right. into this year clearly. So passing on from Nguakwe, or Yannick Nguakwe to get, to get Chandler Jones was not good process in my opinion. And I think some of these decisions just have compounded in a little bit of regression of the mean with some of those close games. And that's why you're looking at the record that they have right now. My issue with the, the close record thing, at least for the Raiders, is that like last year the personnel on offense wasn't nearly what it is this year correct right like we have like bona fide blue chippers at most 
positions. Like, oh, healthy Darren Waller is a blue chipper. Devontae Adams, blue chipper. I think Hunter Renfro, Renfro as, like, your slot guy, like, wide receiver too. Like, an excellent player to have in that position. But it's it's just the, the execution at end of game when you have that personnel is a little appalling and i guess like looking at a team like the new york giants who are six and two um i wouldn't say they have like world beating talent offensively but they they've won those close games like i think every single game that they've played except for the seahawks game this weekend has been like one possession or less or not less one possession um they've they've done really well like handling you know key goal line situations like what to do when you get in the red zone like how to not panic when you're facing a rush and you need to throw the ball away like they know how to do all those things and that's just a reflection of their coaching and brian dabble has executed his philosophy beautifully with the giants i cannot say the same for mcdaniels and i it just feels like the same thing every year now like i'm like okay can we get to six and five can we get to eight and five? Like, can we get into this position by week 16? Like, there's never any certainty with this franchise. And I think that's the most frustrating thing, being a Raider fan year after year. We've got Leatherwood cut, Henry Ruggs in prison. We have not had Derek Carr turn in an all-pro caliber season since 2016. Um, I don't know. I, I'm just at that point where it's just... You know the Spongebob meme where Spongebob just looks really high, Patrick looks like all shriveled up, and it's like, oh, another game on. Like, that's how I feel every weekend watching this team play. So, enough of that. I mean, dude, the exactly Raiders. the same this way is... you feel about the Raiders is how I feel about the Chargers. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that Buncey feels <laughs> very... It's just like, dude, at this point, just burn the franchise down. Like, sell it off, and like, maybe whatever, like, witch set, like, some bad curse on us, like, we'll, like, be like, okay, like, it's time for the curse to end. Yeah. It's just like every yeah. single year. It's I like, could go it's like a loop. It's like at a time length loop. about 50 different things with the Chargers right now. So give me a direction. Because, like, yeah, they, they, I don't even know where to start with that team right now. Who's, okay, who's, who's first to be fired? Staley, Telesco, or Lombardi? Telesco and Lombardi together, like, today. Like, no, yesterday. It's a year ago. Like, Telesco has given probably the longest leash I've seen of a GM in football. Like, it's ridiculous. The man has nothing it's, to it's show so for long his tenure. He's had it's so long of a leash you wonder what, what dirt he has on blue Spanos, chip players. You know? He has no divisional championships to show for, what, nine, ten years now as a GM? is pathetic. It, it is absolutely pathetic. Like, the rosters he's built have made no sense half the time and when they are somewhat good he, he just doesn't set them up up to succeed and and there's so many issues with his draft philosophy like great in the first three rounds terrible after usually you have questionable head coaching hires you have the lack of mid-season acquisitions which has been an issue with this team every year like they do not make trades for whatever reason like, the Khalil Mack thing was, like, me le legitimately dreaming. Because I'm like, it wasn't that we got Khalil Mack. It was that Telesco made a trade. I didn't know he was capable of that. And so, this is the perfect time that the Chargers should have made a trade. They need a wide receiver so badly. Your top four guys are out. You, Keenan has had a bad hammy. Like, he's been out since week one. Josh Palmer's concussed. Mike Williams just 
messed up his ankle. Jalen Guyton tore his ACL. That is the top four wide receivers on your depth chart. All hurt and have missed time now. What has he done? He's promoted three guys off the practice squad. This next man up philosophy has to stop at some point because Herbert's throwing out guys who run like a fucking 4-7-40 who can't get separation on a basic out route and that's all Lombardi calls is fucking stick and fucking mesh. And I, I, apologies if this is a kid fan friendly podcast because I'm cussing. But like, it is not. Dude, you're it chilling. is not. You're chilling. God fucking damn. Like, Joe Lombardi running a fucking offense designed for Drew Brees' cooked arm with Herbert. I saw a tweet. It's like having a Lamborghini and driving it below the speed limit. It is pathetic. It is such malpractice because I look at what Josh Allen does every week and I'm like, this could be us. This could be us. But but Lombardi is the one calling plays. And I'll stop there to give you guys some time to speak because I could just keep ranting about all this shit. No, no. Before I let... That was a, a beautiful rant, by the way. And I know Ani's also going to have plenty to say about this. I got to say, I think a trade for a wide receiver or just any sort of wide receiver signing should have happened like three years ago. It feels like every year we get the Keenan Allen is out with an injury and that just lingers on for six to seven weeks. And... I have no particular rooting interest for Keenan Allen, like besides like fantasy teams, of course. So I don't know how it feels like being a Charger fan, always like not knowing if Keenan's going to play on a week to week basis. But I think that trade should have just been years ago. Okay. I don't really have that much more to say. Like Bunsy really covered it. Like, I really think that it's just like a, like a terrible team that just like continues to like, it's like literally insanity. They do the same thing every single year and they're like, oh, maybe it'll be different. Like, the thing that makes me really mad, too, is, like, in the past, especially a week after Emmanuel Acho, and I hate it because he freaking went to UT. So, like, I, like, dude, I hate to him like so him much. He's but so... he's just, dude, he spoke at our commencement last year. I was like, oh, but, like, he's so useless. Like, it's just, I don't understand how this narrative that Tua is somehow better than Herbert came to be after watching them for the past two years. Like, if you don't count this year, like, the last two years, it's just crazy. Like, dude. Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill are a million times better than what Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are now. Like, literally, Tua will just keep on chucking the ball up in the air, and, like, one of those two guys will catch it. Literally, this past week, like, Tyree Kill, like, a 50-yard reception that would have been a touchdown if Justin Herbert was his quarterback. Tua underthrew that ball. Tyree Kill had to come back, back into double coverage to catch the ball. I think, and, like, now everyone's like, oh, that... look at the wins. Look at, like, look at how good, like, you know, Tua is compared. It's like, dude, th- the worst part is, like, I don't care if we lose. At this point, like I'm, I'm expecting it. I just care that Justin Herbert's tarnished legacy is like happening before our eyes, and people like he should be like the third con- con- quarterback in the you know the Holmes and Josh Allen conversation. But he's not anymore. Now he's like at the level of like a Derek Carr, who's like you know probably one of the. I think he's still higher than to, that. to stay off Twitter a little bit. The national media Kool Aid is, is getting to you a little bit. Um, I, I, no, think, just, I don't. I, I don't. Know, I don't I care if we win or lose at it's, this point. It's very reminiscent of Philip Rivers and rooting for him and the Chargers because we knew how oh, talented 100%. he was, but he never got the flowers he deserved. I think, and a lot of it was because of the success of the team and the way the national media spun things with with his play and career arc, but. I think the Herbert Tua discussion is the ultimate litmus test of do you watch football and how you cherry pick exactly. stats because Emmanuel Ocho, like I think he just wants to be a contrarian. I don't think he truly believes that. I think he knows the way to build your audience as a media personality is to rub people the wrong way. And this is the same guy who said 
just a year ago that Baker Mayfield should get the same contract as Lamar Jackson. So, yeah, which was hilarious. So I, I don't really like give him a lot of merit in what he says. Like everything, all the engagement he gets is usually from Dolphins fans, anyways, because of that. So yeah. I, I think if you watch football and if you if you just dig a little bit beyond their quarterback rating and touchdowns and you know basic stats like that, and you actually you know look at the the underlying story, I think it's fairly obvious what's going on with those two quarterbacks. Tua has been playing better than I expected, but. Um, I think there are a lot of things with the Chargers that are weird this year. Um, and so I'm curious to see how it folds out because bye week, I feel like every team says this, but it could not have come at a better time. This team needed this bye week desperately, um, given the injuries, given how they played in two of their last three games. Um, I, Hopefully I don't Justin know. Herbert, you know, will heal his injury as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think... Th- the the rib injury is is definitely a factor for sure, and I think people like to yeah. forget that. Um, but offensively, I think what I'm going to look for is if Keenan can get back on the field. He didn't practice today, which is a little bit of a red flag for me. Um, yeah. If he gets back, I think a lot of the miscues and issues in the offense is because of how big of a piece of it Keenan Allen is, um, how important he is to the scheme, how quickly he separates. None of our wide receivers get that separation like Keenan Allen does, and on third and medium, that's Herbert's target, who he hasn't had. Yeah. And and with all these practice squad guys getting meaningful reps, like Herbert has nowhere to go to on, on, on money downs. Um, so that's what I'm looking forward yeah, to see in the offense post by. And then defensively, like again, like losing Boza in, in week two, crippling for, for this defense. And now I'm I'm just curious to see Staley's this defensive guy. He comes from the Fangio tree. He's had success against the Chiefs, and that's the only time I see success in his scheme. It's, it seems like the defense is just designed to try to slow down Mahomes, and any other team that they face <laughs> just gets like seven yards a pop on the ground and gets whatever they want. And so I, I think Khalil Mack, Derwin James have showed up, and no one else, and Asante Samuel Jr. And, and so Tranquil, too, has not been bad. And Tranquil. He's been a pleasant surprise, but... I, I think at some point, like Staley's seat is getting warmer, and I, I give him a really long leash. Like I love him as a coach; he knows the X's and O's really well. And the only thing is, he's got his guys now. He got the players he needs for this scheme, and it hasn't come into fruition. So, post bye week, I, I, I need to see a little bit more from this defense because outside of the Boza injury and the J.C. Jackson nagging injuries, there, there's no real excuse for this team. They have the depth to still look much better than how they look right now. Well, you actually just touched on it, but I was going to bring up the J.C. Jackson thing because even when he was healthy, it just didn't look great. I don't want to... So, I mean, there's just a lot of... Yeah, I don't want to bag on J.C. Like, it, it's such an interesting topic as in, in the Charger fandom and just broader than that because they gave him, what, five-year, $82 million for... Theoretically, a premier cornerback. Everyone says never sign yeah. corners that played in the Patriots system. They'll never look as good, right? Like Malcolm Butler and all these guys who left after. He supposedly looked great in training camp. Like he was killing it. He got that surgery, I think, two or four weeks before the start of the season that took him out of week one, right? So mm. I think I think that was a factor. I don't want to blame it on just that surgery, but... To get a surgery right before the season starts and to get rushed back in, 
I think was a little bit of a factor of why he didn't look so great. In that Seahawks game, he was looking good. Like, objectively speaking, he was playing really well. And on the play he got injured where he gave up that touchdown, he was high-pointing He was about to make the pick. He was about to pick it off. Like, he high-pointed it I was going to say the exact same thing. I was going to say the exact same thing. He looked really good in the Seahawks game. Had he not gotten hurt? Just a confidence... Yeah. I, I, and now I, this this injury is one that's honestly scary because, like, it's one that a lot of players haven't come back from well enough. So I totally – I was literally yeah. going to say you, you stole a lot from my headline for line exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, I don't want to pile on him like a lot of fans did just because it's like cut him yeah. some slack. He got ankle surgery right before the season started, wasn't fully yeah. ready, and then right when he started looking good, he got hurt. Like, can't hold that against the yeah. guy. But – yeah, five-year, $82 million for a guy who might have had a career-defining injury is uh, not kind great. scary now. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's going to be a good test against, you know, those you know, newly revamped 49ers offense, you know, with Debo back, with CMC back. All right, this next game is going to be a lot of fun to watch, right? I, I will be uh, at you know, that on game. The, on the, so. Well, on the 13th, so nice. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna be a good game. Yeah, well, you got the Falcons. You got the Falcons. Yeah, yeah true, true, true. So, yeah, I just, I just, the Falcons are, are a don't, test. O- don't overlook the the division no, no, no. leading. Oh, very uh, true. Yeah, NFC South division lead. No, I think. I mean, obviously, it's gonna be a tough game. The 49ers lost against the Falcons, but I just think like the biggest, like true, like eye test will be, you know, against a very potentially dynamic team, right, with the 49ers. But yeah, I definitely agree with all the points Bunsy was yeah. making. I think you know, offensively, we need to try and turn things around. And we'll see what Lombardi has in store, you know, play calling wise. But I really think, yeah, third down is where, like, I think Keenan Allen, Allen had the second most receptions last year. Like, it was like Justin Jefferson at 28, Keenan Allen 27. Like, that's huge. It's like two or three key third downs a game where he's missing it. And, like, now with Mike Williams out, it's just like, yeah, I really, I think it's Staley and Telesco's almost ignorance, not ignorance, like refusal to change. They just are who they are, if that makes sense. They don't, like, adapt very well. I think the best coaches adapt really well, and I don't think, like, it seems like Staley's very complacent in terms of, like, this is, like, this is how I'm playing defense, this is my scheme, this, it is what it is. You know, especially Telesco, he's like, I refuse to sign any players during, you know, the midseason, I refuse to trade anybody, like, that's just, he, he is who he is. And, like, whoa, whoa. every season is different. We got, we got every... Jeremiah Atechu, man. Don't don't forget about that pickup. Oh, my God. Dude. Charger legend. <laughs> I was like, is this two, Is this 2013 again? Like, I, I was, was so, surprised he was still in the league. Yeah, so, like, it's like he refuses. It's like every season's different, you know, for every single team. No season's the same. But I feel like for Chargers fans, it feels like the same season because they refuse to adapt or, like, feel like it's a different season. So, yeah. I will end this West wrap-up with a little bit of hope for you salty, angry Charger fans. Y'all have one of the most generational QB prospects I think I've ever seen. I think with Herbert's arm talent, the way he just makes plays out of nothing, that's the hat you like hang on to. Like, if, if health is one of your primary concerns, then I think your team will be fine in the long run. Like, 4-3 and three right now, honestly, is not the worst place to be in if you're a Charger fan. Like, you have, I think, very winnable games coming up on the schedule. You get the Falcons. You get, you never know what you're getting from the Niners week to week. Um, you have your built-for-the-Chiefs matchup. And then you get the Cards, the Raiders, the Dolphins, Titans, Colts, Rams, and Broncos. I see a very winnable That's like schedule seven games there. we could win if we just think, played like we should be playing. I think it's like the 28th hardest strength of schedule or something like that, so... I don't think there's any excuses. I think this is a wild card team. That's their ceiling. 
I'd like to see them get to that ceiling, just given all the injuries. I don't think this is a contending team, as I'd hoped, but we'll see. We'll see. I think uh, hopefully health will, will improve things, but I don't know how much more time you have to just wait for, for players to get healthy. That's not usually an approach I like to take if I were running a team, but that's what the Chargers love doing, so we'll see. All right, well, that that should do it. Um, thanks again for Thank joining you. us, Quincy. Um, Very insightful. I love hearing sad Charger <laughs> fans just to make my Raider sadness a little bit more palatable. Um, really appreciate it. Um, we will also try to do more podcasts in general. We have been lazy as hell. and It's, it's not for nothing. Um, I mean, you are doing a PhD, so it's not like you're just sitting at home <laughs> with nothing to do. No, no, I, I just want to give the people some, context. people some context, you know? What, and you don't have a full-time job? Well, yeah, PhD is a bit different, you know? They're all just work, man. We can we can spare 45 minutes a week to do this. I think we're going to start doing it a little more, too. So expect more NBA content, NFL content. Um, did you guys see that NASCAR clip of yeah, the dude crazy. who literally just rolled the wall? Yeah. I have never seen that shit except in, like, video. He actually said that he saw it in a video game. He wanted to try it out, and because it was the last lap and damage didn't matter... He just put it down to fifth gear. He actually like slowed the car down, but just used the wall to slingshot around. And yeah, even Fernando Alonso was like, "Yo, I want to try that. That seems crazy." So like, even Formula One drivers are like, "Yo, that that's sick." So Danny Rick says something cool about it too. So yeah, too, it's a balanced diet, you know. No, we're not doing that. But I think that about does it. And we will catch you next week. Peace. Have sun. Have, no, I missed. I'm so bad. <laughs> Thanks for having uh, me. Guys. Oh, yeah, it. no, thank you for coming. Yeah, of course.